So why do you think the Kaching is so irritating to Walt? <laughs> You're talking about whenever Walter Jr. is looking at his website and he hears the, the donations coming in. I think, well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, right? Like he's, he's reminded that he's had to go this direction, that he's not getting any credit for what, what's happening. Um, I think it's interesting, though, because uh, there's the mechanic of laundering money this way actually makes a lot of sense. It's something that, that came along that, you know, it really helped him out in a way. But I don't know. Like, I mean, I think that the, the, the way that he is, he's put off by it is, is a direct relation to the fact that he's not getting any credit for this, all this stuff that he did and to, you know, save his family to get this money. And then, you know, I think they're using that as a way to show just how troubled he is in a way, right? <laughs> well, like, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, so, I mean, that's the obvious answer, right? And um, that's something that has already been well established when he's talking to Saul and, you know, he's trying to, you know, he's frustrated that he can't get the money to his family. And then Saul finds out about, finds out about Junior's website, savewalterwhite.com. And he's like, hello, Walter, you know, I'm looking at the answer right here. And and mm -hmm. that really pisses him off. So we know that's like a thorn in his side. He really wants credit for it. This is something we we have explored and talked about on this podcast. <laughs> but I think there are a couple of other really interesting things that that go on with that kaching sound that mm -hmm. we hear throughout this episode. So I mean, it's inherently obnoxious the sound, but yes. at the time that it came out, you know, like that was pretty cool that your your website could just make a sound in the first place in a way, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But, you know, rewatching it this time, uh, something that occurred to me was how it calls back to the sad hand job in the pilot and how Skylar mm. is sitting there, you know, on eBay trying to sell her little, you know, country folk art or whatever she calls it, her yeah. little chicken mosaics. And, um, you know, she's she's uh, watching the I guess the, the bids go up. Right. And she's getting really excited. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, maybe subconsciously, like, you know, her being excited about watching the donations come in, uh, you know, that there might be some sort of connection there. And also at one point, the dinging, it goes from a ka-ching to a ding, like a bell ringing. And I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like Hector's bell also, right? Uh, Which is uh, yeah. something that also is a source of trauma for Walt, right? And that mm -hmm. whole experience in, at Tuco's uh, hideout there. But um, yeah, I mean, an another thing that I think that was really il illustrated by his frustration with the, the bell ringing in this one is that this really isn't about his family or for his family because Junior is so excited and Skylar mm -hmm. is so excited and even Marie is so excited, you know, to, to bring in the press or whatever. And he can't give that to them, right? Like if this is someone that really cared about his family, you think he would be able to swallow his pride for five minutes and, you know, really be, be happy, of, happy for and proud of his son and his son for doing mm -hmm. this wonderful, very kind gesture for him. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think it's funny, um, you know, he walks out and he's holding Holly, who is the most relaxed and sleeping baby <laughs> yeah. you've ever seen in your life. Um, yeah. Just perfect, like a perfect little angel, right? And, and he says, it's disturbing the baby. And yeah, you're like, he's the baby. Walt, maybe <laughs> you're the baby here. <laughs> he's definitely the baby here. Skylar, please don't go. Uh, 
If I tell you the truth, will you stay? Stay, and I will tell you everything. Whatever it is, I'm afraid to know. This is Growth Decay Transformation, a Breaking Bad Rewatch podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Pete. And today we're going to be talking about the season two finale, ABQ. So a big one. Yeah. So Pete, you got a, a breakdown or synopsis of this one for us? I do. And the episode opens with a replaying of all the black and white teasers with the teddy bear that we've seen throughout the season. We see those all stitched together. There's a little light editing. I think they cut out the part with the glasses. I don't remember that showing up in this one. But overall, pretty much they play them through. And at the end, when the camera pulls away, we see it transition to color, you know, go black and white to color. And then we see that there's smoke, like these giant uh, plumes of smoke behind Walt's house. And you also see the NTSB on top of the van parked out front. So that also lets you know who those men in the suits are as well. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, at Jesse's, we see him wake up and he finds Jane's body. She, you know, obviously she, she choked on her vomit in the, in the night. Um, when he can't revive her, he calls Walt, who tells him that he knows who to call. And then we're introduced to a big character, uh, Mike Airman Trout, who comes to handle the situation as Saul's fixer. We don't really learn more about him at this point. It's really just he's there to solve a problem. And um, later we see Jane's father, Donald, arrive on the scene. Uh, he's trying to call her on the phone and say, you know, he's there to pick her up for rehab. And he has to see what's going on there. He ends up seeing them putting her in a body bag, which is, which is awful. And it, and I, it stood, it stood out to me a lot in this watch was how he doesn't even acknowledge that Jesse's there when he's there because he's so, you know, traumatized by the, the, the moment. Um, over at the white house, Skylar and Walt jr. Are, uh, they're really excited watching the total start to go up on SaveWalterWhite.com as the money laundering scheme goes into effect here. At the DEA, Hank sets up a collection for Walt's surgery and tells his co-workers that the blue meth, which they refer to as blue sky, hasn't been seen in Albuquerque since Combo was shot. But when he looked into it, he, he found out that it's showing up in the surrounding area, like all the neighboring states. And later on at the same, you know, at the DEA office, Gus Fring shows up as a donor and sees Walt's picture on the donation display. And that leads to him asking Hank, you know, is this one of your agents? And he tells him it's his brother-in-law. And then he finds out that he has um, lung cancer. Do you think that Gus really didn't know that? Um, do you think it was a sincere question? Do you think he didn't know that uh, Walt may have been an agent? Uh, you know, we don't know enough about Gus whenever they or what their plan for Gus was, I guess, at this point, you know what I mean? Whenever they did that, like, I don't think they knew is what I'm saying. 
you know, like I think that that's there. I like to think, I mean, what we know about Gus now, it's really hard to imagine that he didn't look into to Walt and find out that that Hank was a DEA agent. But I think when they wrote this scene, when they wrote this episode, I think it's played as it could be a legitimate thing, like where he's like, oh, my God, this is the guy I just bought all this meth off of. And I'm seeing his picture in the <laughs> DEA's office. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a really great point because I was thinking about it. And of course, what we we come to learn about this character, he is very, very careful. He does his research. So it seems really unlikely that he didn't know there was a connection between Walt and Hank before he went into the the offices. And Mm -hmm. so it could have just been that he's making conversation with Hank um, to find out maybe more about it, see what he can find out, kind of like, you know, a little fishing expedition sort of thing. But I think that is a, a good point that you bring up, Pete, that maybe the writers at this point didn't know just how careful Gus would be either. Yeah, because we've only had, he only had two short scenes, you know, the one where he's, where he doesn't meet with them and then the one where he does and and he tells him, you know, you're nothing like me, you're not careful at all. So really going into this episode, we didn't know anything about the guy except for that he owned the chicken restaurant. Um, and he, you know, he was what, what Saul told them about him, I guess. So, yeah. so I... And we don't yet know that he's connected to Mike, that Mike is also working for him. That's yeah, not we, revealed. All we know about Mike is he saw Goodman's guy. Yeah, and that's another interesting question when you think about it. Like, what we know about Mike, we know Mike would answer to him. But I don't think we're supposed to, to, to at the time, and I, like I said, I don't think they set it up that way, that, that he would already know about what happened to Jesse and all that kind of stuff that, that would kind of make sense after the fact, after knowing how his operation works. Mm -hmm. So Walt goes into a gnarly drug house where he sees some of the effects of his product and he finds Jesse there and eventually pulls him out. We learn later that he's checking him into a rehab center that looks fairly nice. It looks like it's a high end place at home. Marie has contacted the local news and they come over to the house to do a story on Walt Jr.'s website with cameras right there in the living room. <laughs> then Walt does go to get his surgery, um, that, you know, that he's going to get the, get his tumor removed. And before he goes into that, he, they give him a sedative. And while he's in a medicated state, Skylar asks about his phone and he answers by saying which one, asking her which phone she's talking about. <laughs> and that sets her on the path to finding out that he's been lying because she calls Gretchen. She thinks they're having an affair. He eventually calls his mother, finds out he didn't go on that. I mean, everything basically falls apart. And she doesn't know what he's lying about necessarily. Um, we can kind of get into that later. Like, should she or, you know, what would she even think? And if you were in her position or whatever. But, you know, she it all comes down to her calling him out when he gets back after the surgery and telling him that she wants him to leave. And she goes to stay with Hank and Marie, which honestly seems like a pretty fair thing to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> Considering. But, um. You know, we'll we'll find out next season, I guess, how that, that works out for her. Jane's father goes back to work. He is an air traffic controller, and so it's, you know, pretty high stakes, and he's not over his grief, and it ends up getting distracted. 
And we watch as he tries unsuccessfully to correct an error that ends up giving Walt, who's sitting in you know his backyard in front of the pool, a front row seat to the crash of Wayfarer 515, 515. Um, yeah, so pretty, pretty big finale all the way around. Uh, what were your overall impressions on it? Yeah, so it's definitely a big finale, right? And as you were just talking about um, Jane's dad, I was reminded of, I don't remember if it was the previous episode or the one before, I guess it was just the last one, when uh, Jane and her dad meet for um, breakfast and they're talking and, you know, they're, he's asking her questions about her life and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, she's like, well, how's your work? And then he says they're, they'll hire just like any idiot these days sort of thing. So I thought that was like a, an interesting little callback to mm-hmm. this really catastrophic mistake that he makes, right? After acknowledging, you know, how dangerous and important this job is. So. Anyway, just oh, there's so many like little details like that in this whole series, mm-hmm. but especially in this episode, these little callbacks to earlier things that for me, I think really made this episode. So, um, but overall impressions, right? So we've, we've spoken before about how some fans were really disappointed by the Wayfarer crash reveal, but yeah. I think this really is a solid season finale. And I think an alternative title could have been Truth or Consequences, which, of course, is a city in New Mexico. And that's something that Donald says right before the crash, like he's speaking to an aircraft, I guess, in Truth or Consequences. So uh, Walt may feel like he has evaded consequences, maybe gotten away with something. But this episode really illustrates just how many consequences there are for what he has done. And those consequences are mostly... Um, suffered by others, and that's a reality that, again, mm-hmm. he is faced with and that he has to to grapple with in this one. So there's a lot that happens story-wise. We meet Mike, he gets, Walt gets his surgery, Skylar, of course, confronts him and tells him to get out, and then uh, the plane crash at the end. But rewatching it, as I was saying, you know, a little bit earlier, I, I was more aware of the craft of this one and, like, how they cut it, how they transitioned from one scene to another, their use of color. Uh, especially with costuming, right? So, like, the uh, the blue dresses, Jane's blue dress, and then we get into mm-hmm. the next uh, scene is Skylar wearing a very similar colored blue dress. Um, them talking about long sleeves, and we see baby Holly wearing long sleeves. Uh, <laughs> Walt, of course, in that same sort of fuchsia pink color that the bear is. Little things like that, and then blocking, right? To, to the, And how all these things work together to draw these connections to subplots both in this episode and over the course of this series so far. So, and of course, I mean, how do you not mention the acting? Jesse's grief, Walt's face as Junior is, um, you know, doing that interview and talking about how great his dad is. Uh, and then Skylar's monologue at the end when she explains how she figured out that he was lying. And a, a lot of these performances, maybe with the exception of, of Aaron Paul when he has that breakdown crying, are really subdued and subtle. So you mentioned in the synopsis, Pete, how uh, how distracted Donald was when he arrives on scene, and you know when he mm-hmm. first showed That's up, like you you're expecting like rage and you know he could have, yeah, and you could imagine a, a scenario where he tells the people on scene that he wants the police there, that this is a criminal. You know, he could have gotten Jesse into a lot of trouble, possibly. Um, even though there was no evidence there necessarily to support it, but he didn't, right? Like it's a very subdued. Uh, he's in shock. And I, th- I thought the way that they also had Skylar play 
her big revelation at the end was also really interesting. It's not, Mm -hmm. she's very calm, cool, and collected. It almost reminded me of like Scooby-Doo, you know, the way like she's explaining how she figured out the mystery and stuff like that. So a lot of really interesting choices in how they, um, they went about the acting and the directing in this. So uh, I think it was, again, I think it was a really satisfying season finale that leaves the viewer wondering how all of Mm -hmm. this is really going to affect Walt and will he tell the truth? Will he take responsibility for what he has done or will he instead allow others to continue to suffer as, you know, a consequence of his actions? You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation. We'll be right back. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-round movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members, with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. 
Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is rewarding to itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Let's get cooking. We're back with more Growth Decay Transformation. What about you? What did you, what did you think about this one? Well, I agree with everything that you said and you brought up, and I do like that idea of truth or consequences. And I want to I wanna try to put a pin in that idea of the way that their reactions are, are kind of subdued. Um, so that's something I want to make sure we try to come back around to at some point. But as far as craft, I'll go like a little bit further and, and talk about how this applies to the story, like the the tale that they're 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 putting together, I guess, and 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 sort of like the the legacy of the main character and the and the and sort of the the shadow that he casts and all that. You know, the idea of showing us the in between moments, that thing that Vince Gilligan brings up so often in interviews, you know, this is like an episode that works as a conclusion for this chapter of, of this, like a, the, this part of his transformation, right? Um, it, it works as a really good end to what we watched, but it also gives us a lot of those, those in-between moments, those things where people are just alone and they're with their thoughts and they're doing their things. And um, they, it pays off so much of the stuff. Like you said, you know, there were so many things that that came back around like that, that, that they, you know, that they had, they introduced earlier and then they finally, you know, give us something that makes all that connective stuff, you know, that you see, uh, come out and, um, you know, there's yet that, and then it also sets up what's to come, right? Like there's a balance there that's incredibly satisfying and it, and it all works so well to feel like it's a reward to us as viewers, the people who are actively engaging with this thing, it's our reward for paying attention. You know, there's a, it's like, it's like when, whenever this medium, like, you know, it's hitting at a really high level and it works, like that's really what it can do, right? Is that you invest a lot of time, you follow these characters, you watch what they do, you have your feelings about choices they make. And at the end of the day, at the, you know, whenever, you get to this this conclusion of the season it feels good to be like yeah you know i was paying attention i picked up on all that stuff and um you know you feel like it's just you know a satisfying experience right and you know when walter or whenever skylar says to walter whatever it is i'm afraid to know you know after he says that he'll tell her the truth mm-hmm. and that she doesn't actually want the truth because she's afraid you know you're really right there with her, you know, like you, you kind of understand where she's coming from. Right. And you can't even say what would happen if they made that decision. Like if he tells, tells her the truth there, what would actually happen? It's hard to say, right? Because it's, it's just such a well-crafted situation. Like there's just such well-crafted characters that it's, it's, you know, it's great stuff. It really is. And, you know, they do answer that question in the season three premiere. Cause she, basically calls him out. She's like, you're a drug dealer. 
And he tells her, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, she's like marijuana. And he's like, no, methamphetamine. Like he comes out and tells her and she's like, I need a divorce <laughs> right now. You know, so yeah. uh, we do find out the answer to to what what would happen or change. But at, in this moment, I know we'll, we'll unpack this more later. You know, don't want to go too much out of order here. But the the way the desperation in his voice and like her realization that whatever it is, is so bad, right? Like it's really it's it's irreparable. As and and I mean it really is irreparable. <laughs> Not just like how she's thinking or feeling in this moment without all the details. It's irreparable in you know and how it plays out in the rest of the story. Although like you can say like oh well they try to make it get you know get back together work and you know fumble their way through it. But this is the end of that relationship as far as they knew it. Right? Like it will never ever mm-hmm. be the same. After this point. Yeah, they they might not have had a, a perfect relationship in the in the beginning of, you know, when we first meet them, mm-hmm. but um they definitely never have that level of uh just they'll never have that mutual respect or or that ability to to coexist in the way that they had there. Like I said, there was, you know, there was obvious pr- problems in the way that that their, their relationship was presented to us, you know, like the way that Walt was living his life and everything else, but they had that was one thing that they did have right was that they were able to um to live together and to to go through that together in a, in a way that just doesn't exist anymore mhm and i love the way that they they did it like the way she finally figures it out is he makes a mistake he as skylar says you know accidentally tells the truth so um you know it's like those those little mistakes and of course he was drugged he was medicated <laughs> you know things like that could slip out right. but you know, I think of like some of the other major reveals in the series, like Hank, you know, finding the uh, Walt Whitman book, you know, in the bathroom. And uh, that's how he he puts it together while he's, you know, taking a dump. <laughs> so, these little mm-hmm. things, these little moments, right? It's uh, so well written. And as you say, really satisfying the way that the, the payoff that these writers give to us for, for paying attention and maybe that's a you know a, a good place to start in talking about this episode is mm-hmm. to circle back to the I'm talking about payoffs. <laughs> yeah, and to to talk to the about the cold open and this reveal, you know, that we get teased in the beginning that this is an airline crash, right? Like even if you don't know exactly it's an airline crash, we see the NTSB on the top of the van, and we get a bigger, you know, picture of what's going on there. Uh, so that reveal there, I, I mentioned at the top, you know, some people were were disappointed by that. And I was curious because, again, uh, I've I've noticed this before, but I binged this, so I didn't really have, mm-hmm. like, you know, the time in between seasons to <laughs> come up with a bunch of different theories and ideas. So uh, I didn't really get disappointed by this reveal. I thought it was really cool, right? But I went to go see, like, uh, what other people at the time were thinking and stuff like that. And they mentioned on the Insider Podcast for this episode some of, like, the viewer theories that people had come up with as well. Um, like, you know, that mm-hmm. it was like a, a meth lab explosion. Um, I think everyone thought the pink teddy bear was going to have something to do with Holly. The glasses that they, as you noted, Pete, yeah. that they left out of this one were Walt's glasses. The bodies were, you know, Walt, you know there were all kinds of different theories. And um, what, I, what I found out in um, looking up online, like what some people thought initially, a lot of people were really upset because they thought this was a, ris- a red herring. And I don't think it's a really a red herring because it is relevant to the the plot it's relevant to the story uh-huh. um it's a misdirect right and it's one of the the genius things about the show and about vince gilligan i think in particular is that you know there's no way you could have predicted this there's 
like, mm-hmm. you know, there's really no way, like a billion and one chance, like you could have guessed like, oh, you know, her dad is, you know, an air traffic controller and he's going to, she's going to die. And then it's going to be his grief that brings it down. And it's all Walt's fault because he let her die, you know, <laughs> but you know, the, the, yeah, the only real clue that, that would be able to give it away that it was, it was airline related was the 737. But like, imagine trying to connect why there's a pink teddy bear in their pool. Mm-hmm. It sounds too unbelievable, right? You're saying, oh, well, there's a, a plane blows up above their, their house and bodies and and luggage and everything else falls from the sky. I mean, nobody would, I wouldn't think that you would say, okay, that's my theory and I'm sticking with it. And, you know, it would just not really, it just wouldn't seem real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. And that they just focus on that one object, that that teddy bear. And then we got other little pieces, right? Like the other things that they were collecting for evidence were things that could have come from within the White household, right? White house. Yeah. Yeah. So there was nothing like like a like a piece of luggage or like a neck pillow or something like that to indicate that this was an airline. And the hazmat the hazmat suit definitely make you think of the lab because that's what Walt and and Jesse wear every time we see them cook. Now you know what I mean. So. There's a lot of, I mean, it, it is, I think it's a pretty straightforward misdirect. Like, it, you know, like it was, they orchestrated it as such. Um, and I can, I, I kind of see both sides of it. You know, like I can kind of see that people who, who got really caught up in trying to solve the, the mystery, like being not satisfied because it wasn't really solvable mm-hmm. for the reasons we just, we just, um, you know, but I mean, that's just another part of, of, of engaging with the audience and saying, well, you know, this is what, this is what we do. You know, like the first, I think they talked about this in the, in the, um, insider podcast too, right. Was that in the pilot, they had the, the in medias raised like, um, thing that they answered in that episode. So they had took that same idea and they wanted to do it throughout a whole season instead. So it does work that way, right? And in the process, they say, "Well, we're going to try to we're going to trick the people. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're going to think it's one thing, and then it's going to be something that they could never guess." So I mean, like none of that is is outside the rules yeah. of what you know what you can do. Um, I I kind of think like I kind of like it because I'm that kind of person that likes to be rewarded for paying attention. You know what I mean? Like um, I kind of like whenever they 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 work with us instead of to trick us, I guess, you know what I mean? But like, I'm like you, I binged it. So I, I didn't, I didn't have weeks and weeks to think about it. And, um, when you watch it like this, I think it's all, it's all pretty great. I, know? yeah, I agree. I hate it when TV shows are too easy to figure out. Like I, you know, and that's, I think something that it's a, when you do like what we do for fun, watching shows and talking about yeah. them and, and analyzing them, it's a lot of fun to guess and speculate and things like that. But uh, I appreciate a show that challenges me, right? Like where I can't predict what's going to mm-hmm. happen. And yet it still seems believable and workable within the story. Because sometimes shows will have like these like big reveals or moments. And it's like, that's not believable. Or that seems out of character. Or, this is stupid, you know? I find that more frustrating. So I really uh, I really love what they managed to do on, in this series and in Better Call Saul too. And um, my my husband has this really great definition of uh, art that he came up with that he coined. So shout out to you, Dan. Um, but he says that art is a system of partially fulfilled 
expectations, right? So you go in and you have an idea of what this thing should be, but then it challenges you or surprises you in some way. And Mm -hmm. I think that this definitely meets that definition for sure. One thing then, um, the way he describes it, uh, Vince Gilligan, he says... And I do like that definition that your husband came up with. That's good, right? <laughs> switch over. I was just already, yeah, I was just already thinking about this thing that, you know, he says that this is sort of like, I wish I would have written this in my notes, but it's sort of like the karmic, it's it's karmic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's not something that happened, it, this is this is sort of a way to show that what Walt's doing is, is really bad, right? And that there are, Consequences, there are, yeah. you know... Yeah, even if this is like this is an act of God, right? This just happened. But you could you could you could spin that around and have an interpretation of like this is uh, you know this is this is an act of God that that's coming from a, a a place of like it's because of the way that Walt's connected with it. You know what I mean? You can say that well, this is this is basically you know God saying that you know that that he's. He's not happy with the way things are going with Walt or something like that, right? Yeah, and I think that works. Like some sort of like karmic justice or something like yeah, that. Yeah, karmic justice is almost like a butterfly effect too. So like because he did this, yeah. these other things happen as as a result. And I think that it works really well. And um, And I love what Vince said about that because it's kind of how I've been reading this season so far is that like, Walt feels like once he found out that he had gone into remission, that he is untouchable and that there are no consequences and there is no God. Mm-hmm. And then this episode was really a reminder, like, you know what, actually, that's not true. There are consequences and repercussions mm-hmm. for the things that, that you do. And I think that <laughs> that is really illustrated to him in, in some really uh, surprising ways in this one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that all works so well because you have this thing like where you can't really tell what's going on with Walt. Right. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's really hard to crack whenever you see there's so many scenes and so many different things in the way that he reacts because the night before he watched Jane die and he had a chance to save her and he didn't do it. So we see in in the morning when, you know, Jesse wakes up and he experiences that loss and, you know, when you think about what's going on with Jesse there, like that's something that you can't really understand in the moment, you know, like whenever you, you go to sleep with someone and then, and then you wake up next to them and they're dead. Like that's not something that your body can just, or your mind can just actually look at and say, okay, this is what happened. This is what I do next. Right. Like that's like, that's like an insanely, um, unbelievable situation. It's just when you, you know, when you go to sleep, you expect to wake up whenever someone next to you goes to sleep, you expect them to wake up. Right. Like, it's just, it's just like insane. Right. And so Walt has had that time to think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been thinking about it and he's had that time to prepare for this call that eventually comes. Right. And, um, I think he does the best that you kind of can do in that situation. Like he tries to talk to him and tell him everything's going to be okay. I promise, you know, um, I'm going to make sure this is fine. I know who to call. Don't worry. And like, none of that works. You know what I mean? Like it can't work. It's the situation. There's nothing he can do there. That's going to make it better. The only thing that makes it better is that she's not dead. And that's the only thing that can't happen. Right. So 
you know, it, it, it's this, this opening part and like watching Aaron Paul do this stuff. I mean, if you did, if you didn't already understand that he was a really great actor, like this, this um, episode should definitely, you know, get rid of any concerns or questions yeah. you might've had about that. But like, if you think about the way that we're, we're used to seeing everything through Walt's point of view and the way that, that he deals with things. And, and this is the, the first time when it's really kind of hard to, to figure out where he's at, right? I think this is exactly what he was hoping for. And because when you think about where he left off things with Jesse, the last thing Jesse said to him is, you'll never hear or see us again, right? And that's after he yeah. handed them the money and they're on the outs, right? And so this, this woman got in between them. This was a problem that Walt, she was blackmailing Walt. She was a threat to Walt. And uh, she was uh, interfering in this working relationship that he has with Jesse, of course. And he needs Jesse to be able to do his business, if that's something that he continues to do or wants to do, right? So mm -hmm. um, there, were, there were a lot of practical reasons, as far as Walt's concerned, to get rid of her. And I think, you know, he was hoping Jesse would call and was anticipating that because that, again, you know, Jesse would be turning to him. And that's the reconciliation yeah. of that relationship. And it also allows Walt to swoop in and save him. So as you said, Pete, like he's had all night to think about it, come up with a plan, what he would say, what their next steps are things like that. And he gets to come in and, you know, be the hero that fixes this for Jesse. And in a way, that's going to make Jesse trust him again, right? Like, this is someone that helped me and saved me. And so as you were describing, you know, Jesse waking up in this situation, it is an inconceivable thing, right? Like, unless you you have someone that you know is ill or something like that. But uh, it's it's not something you expect to happen to you. But this was something that they were both warned about. Um, on two different mm -hmm. occasions, the, like the previous day, right? So they had that confrontation with her dad, um, you know, and talking about how dangerous this is. He wanted her to go to rehab, yada, yada, yada. And then Walt saying to him, I won't contribute to your death, you know, and things like that. So that's already in his head, you know, and like he knows what they're doing is, is dangerous. Doesn't make it any less shocking that she died, I'm sure. But um, I guess what I'm getting at here is... So it's more than just waking up next to a dead body. It's more than just waking up next to someone that you loved. It's waking up next to someone and feeling utterly responsible and complicit mm -hmm. in that person's death. So not only is he dealing with that. That really is the only way you can go in that. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no way that you can, you can, cause I mean, I think what the, just to kind of hit on a couple of things you said there about Walt, like he, he's looking at it like, this is what I want to happen. This is going to work out, but he he's leaving all that human part mm -hmm. of it out. Right. Like he, in, in his equation, like that Jesse will never see this for what it is. Jesse will see this as like, it's my fault because I got her back on drugs. I got her, you know what I mean? We had the, we had the money. We had the chance to leave yesterday. We didn't do it. We, we, we got high again and, and this is what happened. And that's the only way you can see that when you're in Jesse's uh, situation, like maybe with time and space and therapy and everything else, you can, you can have a healthier view of it. But like in reality for this character, that's the way you're going to process it. And Walt can't, Walt does, isn't able to see that because that doesn't work for what, what he wants to happen. Right. Or maybe he does anticipate it because he also has plans for this like rehab and things like that. And he's going to get Jesse healthy yeah. and whole again. 
And um, I don't know if it's like actually meant to be like a rehab or if it's like that Navajo, uh, you know, retreat that um, remember the one that he told Skylar he went to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Could be uh, either or. I right? think they I, I don't know if they explain it in this episode, but I think it that that you do kind of see that as. Um, well, they definitely have that like group meeting with the, the guy. I forget his name. The one that accidentally yeah. killed his own daughter. The one that hosts uh-huh. the meetings the, the around one town. Sees that yeah. Meet, yeah. So yeah, they, you're right. So. Yeah, they do have like their, I think in the next episode, they have their group meetings and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I, Walt thinks this is something we've, we've uh, discussed before. He thinks very practically and he thinks, you know, mm-hmm. very um, in terms of like problem solving empirically. And, uh, you know, if it's like playing a game of chess, right? Like I make this move and then this, these are the possible outcomes sort of thing. But as you said, Pete, and I think that's a really great point is he doesn't consider all these other things like emotion and feeling. And I think, you know, certainly that scene where he goes to that, like, you know, skid row, like crack den, wherever, you know, they go to find Jesse. And that scene with Jesse crying is such a powerful scene for a couple of reasons, right? Because it's the, for the first time, Walt is really confronted with the reality of, what he does for a living. So he gets to see, yeah, like the effects of these drugs on people. Cause you know, it's, he's always said the street is Jesse's domain. And then he actually has to walk in there and he's horrified. And, uh, he doesn't, you know, he's telling Jesse, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. He has no idea what this world is. This is like his first, like, mm-hmm. you know, first time really experiencing it up close and personal. And the way Jesse cries and the way he holds him is such a, such a complicated, brutal scene to watch. And mm-hmm. I don't think he necessarily anticipated that. But at the same time, it's also a way of giving comfort to Jesse. And maybe that's advantageous for him in a way as well. It's it's a way to bond with this very distraught, vulnerable person. You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation. We'll be right back. Let's get cooking. We're back with more Growth Decay Transformation. Yeah, and and it dawned on me whenever, you know, while we were talking about that, this is damage control too, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's not like this is something that he's doing, like that he planned out 10 steps in advance and like he's, he's playing it. He's, he's making, trying to make the best decision or the, the best choices he can make in reaction to what's already happened, which, which makes things a lot different too. I mean, and, and what's funny is just that how that, I mean, that's something that, you know, part of why this works so well is because that's really, you know, really relatable as a human being. Like, you know, you have your, you have the thing that you think you want to do and then all this other stuff happens and affects your, you know, your ability to do that. So you have to sort of, you know, kind of move forward based on like what's available at the time or whatever. It's just the stakes are so high here because of the way that, that it's, it's set up, you know, that they decide to go into manufacturing methamphetamine and um you know that that's not the same as like i think i'm going to switch jobs and instead of working at the high school i'm going to go work over at a lab or something like that right um you know let me ask you this question um why do you think he helps jesse why do you think he goes and gets him from you know this this place I mean, because Mike's right there to let him off the hook if he doesn't want to exactly. do it. So, but like, why do it at all? Why? He d- yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm thinking out loud. Like, I'm trying to work through it. Um, he is, 
I feel like, you know, he does feel responsible. This is like one of those questions about um, why he does agree to treatment, you know, and he's in that in, in, in his bedroom back in season one and he smells her pillow and he looks at the thing. The right answer to that shouldn't be because he loves his family, right? You know what I mean? But it is the correct thing. So here, I think it's kind of the same situation. Like he cares about Jesse, you know, he cares about himself more. He cares more about, you know, solving this problem of leaving some money behind for his family and everything else he tells himself to do what he's doing. But which all adds up to him caring about being Heisenberg and Jesse being a part of that and everything else. But like, I think, you know, that's what he does care about him and he does feel responsible because he knows he had the chance to, to make this not happen. You know, he, he made a a calculated decision in the moment to, to let her die because that was better for him. And, you know, he, he might be able to tell himself that this would be better for Jesse in the long run because she's an addict and she brought him into to the world of heroin and they're going to die and everything else. But now he's forced with this, this thing with this person. And I don't know. I mean, like, what do you think? It's complicated, right? It is really, yeah, really complicated. Really... And I think this, this episode really complicates my understanding of Walt. And I think the perhaps like the instinct is to to do this binary thing where it's like he's either this good guy or he's this evil guy. He's either, you know, Walter White, family man, husband of the year, or he's Heisenberg. And he is both of those things. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. And I think in this episode, we do see some of that humanity come through in a couple of ways um, against his his will. Um, I think he he's it's not something he enjoys feeling um, anything, right? Like it's it's a and certainly, like, uh, the, he does a lot of horrible things. And when it comes to Jesse, though, um, I guess I'm reminded of what, what Hank says at the end of the series after, you know, Jesse flips and he's working with Hank and, and Gomi. And he's like, you know, you know, he's a completely selfish, evil bastard, except for when it comes to you. He actually cares about you, you know? And, I mean, he has a funny way of showing it. He lets his girlfriend die mm-hmm. and does all these horrible, terrible things to Jesse and uses him and manipulates him and things like that. But... You know, like, what is the benefit? What what is what does he gain from letting Jesse live right now? Like, why does he care what Jesse does? Like, he got rid of the problem of Jane. Jane was the biggest threat to him, right? So he could just, you know, wipe his hands clean and be done with all of it. He got his money. He made the deal. Uh, he could get out of the business. You know, wh- why does he go back and try to actually help this kid? And yeah, that's I, a really interesting twist because, I mean, spin on what, what he's been dealing with, too, because he doesn't need Jesse for the street anymore. Exactly. For the street cred or anything else. You know, he has Gus now. Mm-hmm. And Gus is directly telling him not to deal with Jesse. Yep. So but why does he, he do it? But he, like, knee-jerk won't do that. You know, like, he that, that's like a, a line that he draws really early. So that that's something that's fun to think about. Um paying attention to going forward you know yeah it is and and i don't think i have any clear answers on like you know what what is actually (laughs) driving him because i think it's a it's a multitude of things i think i agree with you pete i think he absolutely does care about this kid and i think there's again there's some really interesting contrast happening in this episode how annoyed he is with his own biological son and his frustration Uh with him who's just trying to help him right he's trying to do this kind thing for his dad raising money to help pay for his surgery and he's just like absolutely just, you know, I just like wit's end with his family. He's so irritated by them. And, 
yet this this other person who he's not related to is where his affection is and where his care is. And um, we've talked a lot about like the, the displacement and like the stand-in and things like that that's, that goes on between those two. But what is mm-hmm. actually motivating it? Is it just simple care? Is it because he feels guilty? He feels responsible? And this is like a way of making an amends and working through that. Like I, I can do something good and that will help offset some of the bad that I have caused and I have done. Um, I mean, it's, as you said earlier, you know, Walt's kind of inscrutable in this one. Like you can see that there's a lot of emotion. He is going through a lot. Brian acts really beautifully in this, in this episode. There are a couple mm. of scenes where you can see that he's really struggling, certainly in that, that scene with the interview with um, the news crew and the way that they, they focus, the camera focuses on his reaction as uh, Walt yeah. Jr. is talking about how great he is. And you can he see almost that, starts to cry there, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You can see that it's it's painful for him to sit there, there is and no, listen there to There is it. no tear, but it he's welling up for sure. On the inside. Like, yeah. With the, yeah, with the weight of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, everything you're saying there, like I was just I was just thinking about this, you know, the, this idea of like what what he's trying to do. And it dawned on me a little bit, right? Like if we think about that situation with with the the cameras on his face like you know where he he's forced to he he can't walk away right he's forced to sit there mm-hmm. uh because of the way that 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 scene and that situation is constructed um it's funny because it's like it goes back to the same thing with the the sound of the of the thing and him being annoyed like what we talked about at the beginning uh the the sound of the money coming in on the computer what a lot of that stuff does is it it interferes with him with his own story about who he is, right? If he if he ditches Jesse after letting Jane die and everything else that happened, that's not who he tells himself he is, right? Like the conflict inside is like I am a good person. I am doing this for my family, right? So if he can't like we 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 were talking about like he can't even do that, but in his mind he can't. And he's doing it right when he's sitting on that couch, right? Like he's saying, this is me being, you know, look at me taking, doing this thing that's super uncomfortable and that I don't want to do and because I am a family man, right? If he doesn't go in there and he doesn't talk to, and this, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, I, this isn't something that I worked through beforehand or anything, but like, if he doesn't go in there and he doesn't try to save Jesse, if he doesn't try to to do this, then what does that say about what he tells himself, right? Like Mike gives him the choice. Don't go in there. I'll go in there for you. But that's not who he thinks he is, right? He thinks whenever he has time to to kind of put this whole thing together, you know, of like why he's not a bad guy for doing the things that he does. It's because he would go in that room, right? It's because he would, he is a good father. He's all those things that Junior says about him, even whenever he, you know, the reality is is that he's not. He's kind of going through the motions with his own family, right? Like he's doing what is expected of him. And I love that scene when they're doing the interview and Marie, you see off camera is like, you know, doing the universal sign for like, smile, smile. And then he has mm-hmm. this like, this like, uh, it's, it's a, it's like a grimace <laughs> on yeah. his face. He can't you know? even really keep it up. He tries, but it just sort yeah, of. Yeah. It's like a rictus. It's like a rictal grin that he has. And, um, 
you know, it's he's going through the motions. And, and I think that's a great point that you made, Pete, that he's on the spot. He can't run away. And he's in a way under a microscope. I mean, he's being filmed. And, you know, this is um, this is the image that he is projecting out into the world. So he's playing nice and everything, even though he really doesn't want to. And um, everyone keeps telling him how he should be reacting, like Marie telling him to smile. And nobody's going to pat him on the back for for doing it either, right? Yeah. Like, there's no satisfaction in any of this. It's the or, same as the, yeah. the money coming in this way, right? Yeah, like, or he, even it, Skylar like telling him like, "Don't you think a you know a thank you is in order and stuff like that?" Like he's not reacting or behaving the way that everyone thinks he should be. And to be fair, right? He's not right. Like he mm-hmm. should be. Um, th- this should be a, like a happy moment in this man's life. He has just beat cancer, essentially, right? He's gone into remission. Things are looking up. He can get surgery. Uh, he made this huge deal. He's got his money. Everything should be coming up like, you know, roses for him, but he's like miserable. <laughs> he's absolutely mm-hmm. miserable. And the source of that misery, of course, comes from a lot of different things, from the things he's done. But um, it's it's more complicated than just dealing with the immediate aftermath of what happens with Jane and this this plane crash. It's also not being satisfied with this lot that he has in life. It's it's not really about his family or for his family. Now, when it comes to Jesse, I'm still kind of working through this because <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't think about it really. But to answer your question, I don't know because who sees it? Who is it for? It's not performative, right? Like this him Mm-mm. behaving in such a way for Jesse. It's just for him, just for Jesse. So if if it's part of his own narrative, as as you're saying, Pete, about like the story he tells himself, I'm not a bad guy, because like, look, I'm gonna help this kid. I do care about this kid. Um, maybe, but I think it's actually genuine. I think he actually does care about Jesse. And I would even yeah, go as far I to agree say with that, that too, I think yeah. he cares more about them about Jesse than he does his own family in some ways. Yeah, that, I guess, yeah, that's, you know, this is something we've talked about in several episodes, you know, about why, you know, because he can also be so cruel to Jesse mm-hmm. in a way. And you don't really want to let it like just sort of only, only be about that. Like he, he, he cares about Jesse because he can control Je- Jesse and he can, and he can be as, as awful as he wants to Jesse. Like, I don't think it's, it's, it's just that, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that power differential works for him and it, and it's something that's important, but um, yeah, there's there's something human there. And whenever you see something human with Walt, it's always kind of hard to figure out where yeah. it's coming from or what it's about, uh, which is it was what makes this so much fun. Um, yeah, and he's cruel to his own family. Now they don't really appreciate, or even they're not aware at this point of just how cruel he is being to mm-hmm. them and what he has done and how that that will affect them and everything. Um, so I, I guess yeah, at least but I mean, Jesse, in season three, you know, he, he makes it explicit yeah. and, uh, it becomes a big part of, of what's going on between him and Skylar anyway. So yeah. we know that's coming. Yeah. And he still, you know, he keeps with his rationalizing nonsense. Like, uh, I, I guess it's in the premiere of season three when they're having the, the school like gathering in the auditorium talking about the plane crash and he <laughs> grabs the microphone. And he starts talking about how, like, it wasn't that bad. It's not even the worst plane crash, and you just need to get over it, and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, who are you trying to convince, Walt, you know? Yeah. Who are you trying to convince? So, yeah, I think at this point, um, he still obviously has some humanity in him. He still has some feeling and some care. And uh, I, I guess we really see that in Jesse, but we also see it a lot in Holly. This is the most Holly prominent episode we've had so far, and he's like, 
pretty much every time he's at home, he's holding Holly. And of course, they do that to contrast the fact that uh, Don Donald just lost his daughter and Walt is holding mm-hmm. his own. And it's, you know, in a way, it's it's grotesque to watch this when Jess, he's sitting there in the morning waiting for Jesse's phone call, holding his daughter, right? And, you know, trying to, to comfort him and stuff. like It's just knowing what he had done, you know, it's... Yeah. You know, is, is Holly there to make himself feel better? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's a... That's one of the things that jumped out at me the first, you know, when I was watching this, rewatching in this and taking my notes was was how they put that together, you know, like having him with, you know, the most innocent, uh, you know, newborn child that just doesn't have anything, you know, just needs him, you know, like on that level that that human babies need their parents whenever they're born, you know, they're they're completely helpless. And um, him being there with her like that, yeah, it's uh, it makes you think about a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, of course. And I mean, Jane, although an adult, was helpless and she needed help, mm-hmm. and he was in a position to help her, and he didn't to help her. Yeah. yeah, and he made a he made a strategic choice that her life wasn't, you know, wasn't wasn't worth uh, saving. She wasn't worth helping. Yeah, it wasn't convenient to him. <laughs> And so I wanted to go back a little bit to what we were talking about there. Um, And I'm not sure where I'm going with this at the moment, but the, you know, we talked about, because I was just thinking about Donald, how, how, how great this actor does in this, in this, uh, this little bit, we get to know him in this episode, because like you said, and and we were talking about earlier, he was introduced as a hothead. Um, He, he almost, he was going to go at Jesse yeah. while Jesse was holding a bat. You know what I mean? Like this is not, this is not a, a, a timid guy. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the way that he, you can't tell what's going on. I mean, you can't, you, you know why he's acting the way that he is, you know what I mean? But like you, his react, his reaction is so subdued. Um, when Skylar Whenever she finally tells Walt that she knows about his lies, it's the same thing. Like she's, she doesn't scream and and she doesn't, you know, throw things at him and tell him to get out of the house. She just quietly packs up and, and, um, gets ready to go. And, you know, Walt is, Walt is going through these same things and he's sort of in that same, you know, he's, he, the reasons why he can't, acknowledge what's happening is just totally different right like his it, this is all re- tied back to his secrets that he's mm-hmm. been keeping from everybody and so there's an interesting parallel to the way that the people like donald and and jesse and and skylar are are reacting to the things in the way that walt is because you know by the end of this episode everything that he feared could happen happens in a way right um skylar understanding i mean he he's smart and he's good at 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 figuring out ways to make things work but he's confronted with the idea that there's no way out of this for him at this point right like he you know what i mean like when she tells him that she knows that he didn't go to his mother's place Mm -hmm. and that that they paid over a hundred thousand dollars and that she has no idea where that money came from. These are things that he can't easily 
explain away. And she doesn't even give him a chance to, right? Because she's so used right. to him having excuses for everything. So she lays right. out and, and, the whole thing, like how she figured everything out. And so he's just standing there dumbfounded, you know? Yeah. And, and like, you know, when he's sitting there and, and the plane crash happens, when he's sitting there left with that in his pink sweater by the pool, you know, there's not, there's no solution that he can, he can, you know, I mean, that that's kind of what's great about the timing of the plane crash is that. There's not. There's no way he can work that out, as smart as he is, or anything else, right? Like this, this intervention of like this teddy bear from the sky is almost necessary because you. This is this is the character we've been taught throughout this first two seasons that can get himself out of anything, and it's just like it's really hard to figure out how he could have a path forward, uh, with his family and and everything else at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but the fact that it's a pink teddy bear that falls into the pool, um, mm. and that's at that moment, right? It's a it's a corruption of innocence, right? It's uh, you associate mm. a pink teddy bear with like a little girl, um, mm. so it's uh, perhaps symbolic for Jane, symbolic for the dissolution of his marriage, right? Like how everything has sort of un- it's a loss of innocence for the white family. Um, he can't keep lying, keep up the shroud any longer at this point yeah, I and, guess. And I guess where I, I guess where I was trying to go whenever I brought this back up was that the the reason Donald is the way he is is because he blames himself, right? He 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 could, he was there the day before and he gave her one more day. Um Jesse is the same thing, right? So I guess the question is can Walt actually blame himself in any of that or is he incapable of seeing in in that way you know what i mean like he has to react he has to do something because he can't he can't do what they're doing and uh and just sort of see things as like this is my fault this is all of this is happening around me not because i'm unlucky or you know some unfair thing is in play here it's because i made a lot of bad decisions and now this stuff is like truth or consequence right the consequences mm-hmm. are coming home to are roost, coming right? home yeah, yeah right yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I guess what sets Walt apart is intent. And, you know, I, in Jesse's situation and in, also in Donald's situation, right? Like, they are they feel perhaps guilty because they had the ability to intervene or they think they had the ability to intervene or that they're culpable in some way that, that Jane died, right? But, of course, Walt is way more guilty <laughs> than either of them because he actually had the opportunity to save her now like we could get into a debate over like you know like the the ethics of what actually happened or you know um how how responsible is walt for saving her you know he didn't actually kill her is it his fault she died is he complicit in her death in some way um and just for (laughs) just to make this easy i'll just say i think he is absolutely 100 percent complicit i don't know if i would call Mm. him a murderer like he murdered jane but he didn't save her and i think that's in a way just as bad Right. It's just if, you know, but what, whatever. So I think like he's, it's not that he's not aware of what he has done. It's just that he cannot face it. And he is so compartmentalized. And to do that would be like, it it would be the end of his, his psyche to really face Mm -hmm. up and look at what he's done. So he doesn't, he rationalizes and he um, blames other people. He, uh, it's, it's a way of protecting himself so that he can keep going, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the way I see him, right? Like he's not able 
to do it or he just refuses to do it or he has mechanisms in place so that he doesn't have to face these things. Because I, I think it's also inaccurate, though, to say that these things don't affect him because I think they do. No. He just absolutely mm-hmm. has a way of managing it in a way that he's able to be like, okay, I'm going to just put this over here and not think about it or not deal with it. Yeah, it's fascinating, really, because I don't know. I mean, if I think about myself and and bad choices that I've made in the past, you know, like at some point, whenever you, you know, whenever you have to deal with it, there, there's a point where you have to say like, okay, well, this can't go on in, in, that, in that way anymore. So the only way to, to fix it is to, to not continue to do that thing, right? <laughs> like, um, so like, that's what's really fascinating about Walt is that at this point in the story, the right thing for him to do would be to move out and then stop cooking meth. They, he has enough money basically to, uh, you know, move forward at least at this point. It would be to stop doing all the things that he's doing and make, you know, try to earn his family, re-earn his family's trust, right? Like to, to get himself back in. And that would take time, you know, that would take giving them space and, um, you know, being alone and, and like I said, not cooking meth and just (laughs) sort of, and just sort of showing them that you're a different person. I mean, that's the only way to make that work. Right. And, um, everything's in place for him to do that at this point, but he, he just, he, he just couldn't do that. That wouldn't, that would, that the story would end, you know, that would be the ending. Right. It was like, okay, well you could just write that in a, you know, like in a, have like a, some text on the screen as it cuts to black, you know, and Walt went and for a year he, he didn't do anything wrong and he just did everything he could to support his family. And eventually they welcomed him back home before he died of, you know, his cancer two years later or whatever. Yeah. So, so thinking of where Walt is right now at this point in the story, forgetting what we know will happen in the future, right? At this point, he has been telling himself this lie that he's doing this all for his family, yada, yada, yada. And of course, now it's cost him his family. His family has walked out the door and he's left with, with nothing. So yeah, you would think, Pete, you would absolutely think that this would be like his number one priority is, is uh, fixing the family, rebuilding um, those relationships, regaining their trust. Uh, but that's certainly not the way he goes, is it? And uh, I guess to think ahead of where this does end up going, and uh, the influence that Gus Fring has on him and convincing him and persuading him to come work for him. Because at first, if you'll remember, Walt says no. And he's like, you know, uh, I did this for my family and it cost me my family. And then, uh, you know, he gets convinced to do it because as long as you have children, you always have family, right? That's, uh, that's Gus's mm-hmm. line of persuasion. But uh, he's, in, he's certainly in a precarious moment right now. And... He doesn't know what to do or where to go. So as you were talking earlier about him sitting outside at the pool at the end, right before the plane crash and how he's sitting there sort of dumbfounded and in this like stupor, it is very similar to how he was sitting on the couch during the interview. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of passivity from Walt in this episode, apart from like what he's able to do to try to help manage Jesse, like getting Saul involved, getting Mike to go out there and, uh, and certainly going, actually, the only time we really see him active is when he himself goes into that, um, that drug den to find Jesse. That's mm-hmm. the only time we actually see him be proactive about anything in this episode. And I think it's really interesting that 
that is where the the attention and the focus is. Yeah, I mean, that's the hard part, right? Is sitting with those things. Um, that's why you keep moving forward whenever you're in a situation. I mean, I can't, I don't have a situation like what Walt's in right now to compare it to, but way lower stakes, you know, different yeah. kinds of choices, things like that. It's it's still the same thing. It's still the way that you behave, right? And like, you know, that's what I think of is like, when you did something wrong and you know about it, that's the hard part is to just sit there and be with that and just, you know, so you want to keep going forward. You want to do something. You want to actively, uh, like, even if it's the wrong thing, you just want to, you just want to keep moving and not, not have to be stuck with that. You know, like that's, that's what his penance would be is to be stuck with the, the choices and, and, and what happened and like, people died, you know, he would think about crazy eight and he would think about Jane and all these things. And, and that's what he doesn't want to do. Right. That's what a person doesn't want to do is, is to sit there with that, those consequences and uh, say, yes, I did that. That's my fault. And I'm willing to, you know, do what's necessary to try to make up for it. Yep. Don't forget your pants. We'll be back right after this short break. Fire up the RV. We're back with more growth decay transformation. We we hit on a lot of stuff moving through here. I'm trying to think of there was some other stuff that we haven't we really talked to... about Mike yet, right? So I mean, yeah. he comes in. He's like you know Mr. Wolf from like a Pulp Fiction, sort of the fixer, mm -hmm. the cleaner sort of thing. Um, but what an impression he makes, huh? It was funny listening to them talk about uh, Jonathan Banks on the Insider podcast. And mm -hmm. it seemed at the time as, that they recorded that episode, they had no idea if he would really be coming back or if they would be able yeah. to use this character again. So just amazing to mm -hmm. know like how far he went. He got to be like, you know, a co-star on the spinoff. That's how important he ended up being to the to the series. And probably everyone no listening knows this if you're as big of a fan yeah. as we are. But it's worth mentioning that the only reason Jonathan Banks was even in this episode is because Bob Odenkirk wasn't available to film this episode, so they had to write this other character in um, to come help Jesse. So a little bit. Yeah, of think the about trivia. how much different that that would have been if Saul was the one who showed up there. Um, this is a happy accident, I think. It is, and it also changed. I mean, it would have changed Saul's like what we understand about Saul's character. That's what I'm completely. saying. It would it would have humanized Saul in a way that really wouldn't have worked. You know what I mean? Like he he couldn't just come in there and crack jokes like. You know what I mean? Like he would have to at least be like how Mike was in this, like detached. But um, yeah, it, that's hard to imagine how that would have played out if Saul was the one who showed up instead. Yeah, it would have completely changed his character and <laughs> like where he, you know, how they, they wrote him, not just for um, mm. Breaking Bad, but certainly Better Call Saul too. And I think one of the, the major similarities between both Walt and Saul, to some extent, is that they like other people to do their bidding for them. Like they're kind of the mastermind behind the scenes, like the puppet master sort of mm -hmm. sort of thing going on. I mean, Walt certainly doesn't mind getting his hands dirty and he will get them dirtier and dirtier and dirtier as the series uh, goes mm -hmm. on, of course. Um, but uh, Saul, not so much. Like he just likes to point and say, you know, give directions <laughs> and sit you know, mm -hmm. behind his, his desk in his office quite comfortably. So... Uh, it that would have been really different to see him in that that role. I'm so glad it worked out the way it did because I also I really love Mike as a character. So mm -hmm. I can't I can't imagine what it would have been had it not gone this way. Yeah, I I think it I think it's 
it's neat how, you know, they talk about how they brought him in and, and he's talked about it as well. Um, Jonathan Banks has talked about it, about how he just came to, to do a job for a day. You know what I mean? And, um, but I think it's great how you can see besides the, the sunglasses, like everything about Mike Ehrman Trout is there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can see that he walked in on this one day and he played it that way. And then that's who the character became. So I think that's really neat too, because I know that I am not familiar with the TV series. What was it called? Wise guys. Is that yeah. the, the Jonathan Banks? I've never seen it. Um, a little bit before my time, I guess. But Vince said that they used to watch that in college whenever they, you know, because it was it was kind of a serialized um, thing where, you know, that wasn't just, I can't remember now that I'm kind of caught up. But I haven't seen it. Either. They did talk about it on the Insider podcast. I think um, the guy that plays Jane's dad, uh, Delancey, also was on it or guest starred on it at some point or something. I, I could be wrong about that, but I seem to remember them telling a story about how like they had to kiss or something. They were, I don't know if that was true or not, or if they were just joking. <laughs> I don't know. I could be making that up. Someone he's from out there Star Trek. The yeah, next like generation, next generations. Right. I don't know. I'm probably making it up. <laughs> the point I wanted to make about the show was that you know it was different for the time, also, but I just never saw it, so I, I can't really connect the dots on it to make something interesting (laughs) say something (laughs) interesting about something I've never seen before. Another thing that I wanted to, what I thought about there when you were talking about, you know, behind the scenes and different stuff, you know, Gus, I'm surprised. I I mean, I felt like if if you had asked me before we started doing this, I would have thought that there was more Gus in season two than what we actually got. Like I felt a little bit surprised on how mysterious he still is at the end of this this episode because um, he just sort of they do that thing with him where he's standing there the whole time but he's they have it blocked so that he you know that the way that's framed he's off off screen and then he just sort of pops in mm-hmm. um which is fun, always funny whenever they do that uh so yeah i thought that was funny like how gus is still completely a mystery at this point yeah that is interesting. How I wonder how much screen he time he's actually had. It's it's probably within like a number of like you know under ten minutes or something that we've actually spent mm-hmm. with him over the episodes we've seen. Hank, quick to tell him uh, you you make some killer chicken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know the opening um, with the DA when they're talking about uh, Combo and his connection to to Blue Sky, and uh, they're they're talking about that. And they're going over Combo's history, of course. He talks about the one uh, criminal record he had when he stole the baby Jesus from, yeah. um, you know, the manger, <laughs> the manger or whatever. And that, of course, is something that they uh, picked up on in Better Call Saul. It turns out that Kim Wexler was his attorney. That is true. So, yeah, I, I love those those connections. It's really fun to go back through Breaking Bad, having seen all of Better Call Saul now and making those those connections. A few more trivia things is that um, the picture of the woman in Jane's bedroom is of Elizabeth Bishop, the poet, and uh, turns out that she is one of Vince Gilligan's favorites. And that's also why he made her maiden name Bishop. And can I just mm. say that that, that scene where, where, where Donald is talking to like the medical intake people or whatever, uh, and uh, they ask him uh, her maiden, the mother's maiden name, and he's mm. like, my mother? 
And I think that's one of the most heartbreaking lines in the the whole episode, his reaction there, because you can just, uh, yeah. it's so real, it's so raw that, that this this is a man that's in just utter shock. Like he's not thinking clearly. And uh, that, that would be his response. I thought was really, was a really interesting choice. But um, we also find out that... One other thing about that real quick, the, that, that's another thing that I was, I was, I, I mean, the whole thing, like, what Jesse is, is just incredibly, it's like almost hard to talk about, you know what I mean? Like the, the way that, what his character goes through in this episode. But I thought that was another really great choice that they made to have the way that it starts. Like I said, you know, I think when he wakes up and he's sort of not there, like it's really hard for him to focus on what's actually happening and like seeing it for what it is, you know? And um, that was a really great way to kind of, make him like bring him back into it was when he realized that he doesn't really know when her birthday is. Right. Mm -hmm. And then whenever, you know, when they're asking these questions and then she starts asking questions to Donald, but he's still sort of staring into the void and, and thinking that she's talking to him. And he realizes that, uh, you know, when he hears Donald answer or whatever, that, that she's not even talking to him anymore because he's, you know, there's someone here that knows more about Jane than he does. Like, man, that's really uh, a gut punch right there. It um, is. And his attention while he's talking to that woman is on her drawing apology girl of a girl that mm-hmm. looks like her. It's supposed to be her, I assume, crying, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And he took it with him, right? So I don't know. Yeah, Donald so, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a poignant moment, right? It's almost like yeah, she's talking the, to him beyond the grave. Sorry, Dad. God, the uh, the hug in the um, in the uh, shooting gallery too. Um, the way that Walt's not expecting that. I don't think you know Jesse's almost. He's just unconscious at first, and then he he comes back, and then that's his first thing is whenever he feels like that that human contact, you know, as he just, he just leans in for a hug and, and just breaks down and man, it's just a incredibly difficult. That's also, it's kind of infantile, right? Like Jesse is like a little baby, you know, he's vulnerable Mm -hmm. and, you know, he says, I'm fine. I'm fine. Leave me alone sort of thing. And Walt's like, you're not fine. You're not okay. And the way he comforts him is not unlike the way he would perhaps console Holly when she was crying. So again, Mm -hmm. I mean like the, the imagery of of children specifically babies is <laughs> big in this one right um of mm-hmm. course like the way like donald lays out jane's dress that she'll be buried in and the way that transitions right into um you know uh holly wearing her long-sleeved like onesie and she's being dressed mm-hmm. so this this innocence this dependency right these are your children i guess the the larger message of this is like children whether they're your biological children or not depend on someone to care for them, right? And uh, even though we're, t- we're thinking of two different adults, Jane and Jesse, they're vulnerable and they need someone's help. Mm-hmm. They need someone to take care of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's a point they keep driving, you know, over and over throughout the whole episode. So that uh, it's a primal, primal scream from Jesse. Mm. It is, it is uh, guttural, his crying. It's hard to watch. And as I as I noted earlier, I really appreciate that they made the other two like really intensely emotional scenes more subdued, right? And mm-hmm. it wasn't necessary to show us 
Donald crying and screaming and pounding his fists sort of thing. Because the way they went about it, I think, is way more effective. It's way more yeah. way more gut-wrenching because you expected that from him, as you said, right? Like, mm-hmm. we think of him as this, like, you know, even as Jane describes him to Jesse, he's a hard-ass, right? This is someone yeah. that's tough and he is a shell. And so it, it yeah. really, I think, just even adds more to what happens at the end of the episode. This is a man that, yeah, because, like, is so lost. Because it's equally incomprehensible, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the, the 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 airplane crash that's that's incomprehensible in the sense that it's something that just doesn't happen very often. But you know, on a personal level, for Donald, to, to I'm sure he had fears that something might go wrong. But you know, to think that if he didn't make her go to rehab right at that moment, just to wait till the next morning, you know, that that he'd never get to see her again. Like that's just not something that you can prepare yourself for. And so to see him react in that way, like we've said multiple times, I guess, at this point, is just, it, it's super effective. Yeah. And uh, just another thing that occurred to me, I don't know if this was intentional. I never know what's intentional. I always say that. But when he's, mm-hmm. you know, at, in the end uh, at work and the plane that he, confu- or the, 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 I guess the signal he gives is for Juliet, mm-hmm. but he mis- misspeaks he and he says Jane. Jane. But I was thinking also of just what Juliet means. And Juliet, how do you not think of Romeo and Juliet? I mean, of course I do. Uh I think that's an association that everyone makes, whether you're conscious of it or not. But that is a story Mm. of two young lovers. And it ends in, you know, tragedy. Uh, They Mm -hmm. kill themselves. And, And the reason why is because it's a forbidden love. Their families don't want them together. And in a way, you could think of Jane and Jesse as a sort of Romeo and Juliet story as a verboten love. Her dad mm-hmm. doesn't want them together. Walt doesn't want them together. And uh, I don't know I just thought that was, again, an interesting choice that they went with Juliet. Yeah. And I guess uh, probably everyone knows this, but the mural in Jane's bedroom, you know, the little pink teddy bear falling. You get to see mm-hmm. it there, too. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting thing that they said on the Insider Podcast that that's actually Jesse's apartment. And you know what? Actually, they I They reused the set. They, they, they made that mural and everything else after the fact because it's in the same apartment. Yeah, so they just redressed it. And um, it's funny that they said that because uh, watching it as closely as I did, I noticed this time, I never noticed it before, that... Her door is on the wrong side, right? Because it's Jesse's door. So, like, mm. when they're at the front of the the house and they're talking and everything, you can clearly see the the front door. You can see the windows and everything in Jane's house. But it should be on the op- opposite side because their doors were next to each other from the front. So her door wouldn't have mm. been on the from the inside on the right. It would have been on the left. So that's yeah, I funny. didn't pick up on that, but yeah, I did. And There's then no I listened wolf. to the the podcast afterwards, and I was like, you know what? That's so funny that they mentioned that because yeah. I was wondering. I didn't. I wasn't thinking. Oh, it's Jesse's apartment. I was just like, hey, isn't the door on the wrong side? Shouldn't it be on the other side? But we find out that she's from Phoenix here. That that was her city of birth. So yep, and the that name of the ties in with the the title of the last episode. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, like I said, I I go back to that that last confrontation there that you know the lies on top of lies on top of lies. And you know like just putting ourselves in Skylar's position for for uh, a moment, you know, get out of Walt's 
shoes and, and get into Skylar's uh, for a bit. Like, I really like the idea of I had to believe that, didn't I? You know, that, that I had to find a way to do that, you know, because that's what you do, right? Like, if, if something doesn't make sense, you, you look for the, you know, you love your husband. You, it's, he's, this is your family. This is a person through no fault of his own as dying an awful death, you know, um, too soon at age 50, right? Like there's, there's so much, there's so many reasons for her to, to not know what's going on, you know? Cause I think that's a, I think that that is a criticism people have of the character is how could she not know? Like, how could she have gone along with this so long or something like that? But that's, I think that's what you do, you know? And, and I also like the, the way that she emphasizes that to him and about how the responsibility is his. And, you know, when she says, I mean, who would lie about such a thing? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to believe that you are married to someone that would do something like that. Right. Oh, of course not. Right? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. So I, yeah, I'm completely uh, team Skylar here. I have, I mean, who wouldn't, behave yeah. the way that she did and actually who wouldn't actually act worse probably most people would start screaming and throwing shit you know <laughs> she's so yeah. calm like she is so calm she has all the answers and just like you know how like Walt has had a lot of time to process and think about how he's going to handle the jane situation skylar's been sitting on this information for like weeks some, it seems like yeah right? so for for some weeks right so certainly um well, what do we what do we know? So, like, at least this, a week. I mean, it, I think it's longer than that, right? So, like, how that's soon, what I that's what I thought too when I was watching. Soon, I didn't like. Yeah, I was gonna say, how soon after did he have his surgery scheduled after the baby? They did tell us in one of the earlier episodes it was gonna be like really close together around the time the baby mm-hmm. was supposed to be born in his surgery, and then we know they do give us a little timestamp in this one when they go to see Doctor Del Cavoli for the follow up, and he says, "How old is that baby now?" And they say seven weeks. So it's been at least seven weeks since mm. Holly was born and we know his surgery was not that long after um or around that same time that the the baby was due so yeah. uh some it's, time it's been passed. some time yeah so she's had a yeah. lot of time to to obviously do her research get in touch with Gretchen, you imagine that he call would, the mother this isn't this is like a the the procedure itself that's something that he would have been in we don't see any idea of it but i mean there was he wouldn't just this isn't like an outpatient Thing where you just go in and get your your tumor cut out, right? There would have been recovery in the hospital. Oh, absolutely, like yeah. He you know, he would have spent at least a week or so in that, or a few days at least, right? So by the time we see him again, by the time we catch up to him from him saying what he said about the phone, and you know, he's he's well into the recovery part of it already. You know, yeah. like he can, you know, I think he'd say to lift probably heavy. Like, say at least maybe around like five or six weeks, like minimum, maybe longer, maybe closer to that seven week stretch there. And so, yeah, thinking about that scene though, with them in the doctor's office, um, just something that I thought of right now and and this idea of like, you know, it's upsetting the baby when he's, you know, yelling at a scolding junior for his ka-ching, ka-ching. There's another baby line in here and there's a lot of baby imagery and baby, babiness in this one. I already talked a little bit about that, but Walt actually says one less baby for you to, to have to worry about. He says that to Skylar when they mm, start telling him yeah, when he can he start to recover. So he even acknowledges that he himself is the baby that's throwing the, yeah. the temper tantrum sort of thing. That's disturbed by the ka-ching, ka-ching. 
So yeah, I love the, ugh, those little details in the script is so good. I, I did, totally didn't make that connection until right now. It's so good. <laughs> so what do you got? What was your, what was your uh, favorite line then? Oh, there were a couple in this one. Um, I did mm-hmm. go with, I think you accidentally told the truth when that confrontation between Skylar and Walt, uh, I thought that was really a, a good line. Um, but I also, it's more like the scene, I it's guess. It's a well set up line too, right? Because yeah. she's, you know, she's called him out for not being able to, or just to tell her what's going on, you know, thinking way back to that that scene in the living room, whenever they first you know, whenever things first started to fracture, you know, when she's giving him the silent treatment. Um, it's a long time coming. Yeah, one. for sure. What about you? What was your, your favorite line for this one? Well, were you? I, I think I interrupted you there. Was there something else? Did you have honorable mentions or anything? I always do. No. <laughs> we already talked about it a lot already, but my favorite, I mean, we don't talk about favorite scenes. Sometimes we kind of talk about favorite shot as a favorite scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this isn't what I actually... We kind of use the term interchangeably. Yeah, so really. maybe we should have done that. Maybe we should have had a favorite line, favorite shot, favorite scene, <laughs> just to make it yeah. easier. Um, but the certainly the exchange with, um, with Walt and Jesse, when Jesse's crying and he says, I deserve this, what you said in the desert. I get it, you know, what you meant. I deserve what, whatever mm-hmm. happens. And I... Really like that, too, because, I mean, that's something that's going to figure really prominently going forward. So it's a really important, like, understanding of Jesse's character versus Walt's character and this mm-hmm. idea of responsibility. And um, one of my favorite lines in the whole series is when Jesse says to Walt, I'm the bad guy. And then later, Walt's like, I can't be the bad guy. I'm not the bad guy. And it's mm-hmm. such an interesting contrast between the two. But um, yeah. for this episode, yeah. yeah, you accidentally told the truth. Had to go with that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point about Jesse. You know, the he's he's almost too quick to blame himself and just sort of live in that misery that that provides for him. Whereas Walt can't do it at all. He can't he can't see that at all. For me, yeah, I had a bunch of lines in this one. I actually thought that I actually thought you were going to pick lies on top of lies on top <laughs> of lies. So I didn't pick that one, but that's a strong um, second choice for me. And um, yeah, the one I went with was 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 Walt Jr. saying he's just decent. And it's a, I thought it was a great line delivery too. The way he he you you get the feeling that he came up with that in the moment. You know when he's when he's thinking about his dad mm-hmm. when he's like you know in this. For a teenager, and well, really anybody, I guess, if you're not used to being on TV, right? Like being on TV, that's a big deal. And um, even if it's just for the local news or whatever, um, you know, and he, he follows it up. He says, and he always does the right thing. And that's how he teaches me to be. And yeah, I just thought that was uh, Walt's listening to that, trying to to put that all together. Really great stuff there. Yeah, certainly trying to trying to reconcile with like everything he's done or not to reconcile. I mean, I think he's really struggling to not think about what he's done and to not feel it. So being glued there on that couch is so uncomfortable for him um, because he just doesn't, everything about it is uncomfortable, but then having to listen to his son talk about him in that way, knowing what's going on, you know, across town, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just uh, gotta be just uh, brutal, brutal. 
Yeah, so uh, for favorite shots, again, this one was really tough for me. I had two. And actually, um, I saw what you picked. So I'm surprised you didn't uh, pick this one uh, first. Um, but the, the, t- the teddy bear point of view falling mm-hmm. t- uh, at the end, I thought was really cool how it like uh, just yeah. and uh, it's so cool um, how they describe how they did, they did that shot on the Insider podcast. They go off on this little tangent uh-huh. telling a story about how it went terribly wrong with weather balloons yeah. and everything. It's really, really funny. Um, the way they, yeah, they the, talked about how they tried to accomplish that shot. They thought they were going to, after the after they finally got the camera back, they thought they were going to have all this great footage and, and then the realized that they left the <laughs> lens cap on before it got. Oh, man. They, so I think funny. they said it was 200 miles away they found it. Yeah, yeah in some woman's backyard, they found this uh, yeah. weather balloon where, uh, that well, had taken off with this camera. They didn't find it at all. She found it and called the people that rented the camera. Yeah. Right? Like that was the way it worked out. But yeah, the. That was a great, that was a great kicker to that story that the, all the footage was just black because the lens cap had been on the whole time. <laughs> ah, something I would do. Yeah, that was, it's a really funny story. If you're, if you want to check that out, go listen to the Insider Podcast. So I love that. I love how they did it. It's really cool the way the bear flips around and you see the actual fireball spreading out and then the point of view, which is actually really Albuquerque, it turns out. You are seeing mm-hmm. Albuquerque from like 30,000 feet as this bear falls right into to Walt's pool. But for a single shot, because that's, again, kind of like a scene, favorite shot had to be at the DEA when Hank is holding up the donation jar with Walt's picture on top, and he holds it up mm-hmm. right underneath the wanted, you know, sign. And I yeah. just love I love it when they do shit like that. So, so and good. All, and all the other black and white photos that are there have, you know, X's through him. Yeah, it's all the characters that we've seen that are go. in his wake. You know, that they're all the people that are have have gone up against Heisenberg and are no longer around. Yeah, and they have that that picture of James Kill Kelly, Jimmy In and Out, who is of course the guy that is currently sitting in prison for, you know, Heisenberg's mm-hmm. crimes <laughs> with uh you for know what? An extra pudding cup at Los Lunas? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I just love the irony of Walt's like headshot floating around in that same space in that mm-hmm. same room, yeah, and yeah. it's that is Absolutely. really the man that they're looking for. So I just I love that. Very clever. What about you? What mm-hmm. was your What was your favorite shot for this one? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of them. I I think this. I think why it was difficult. This one was difficult was because of the fact the way that everything that you, this is something you mentioned in the very beginning about. Um, in your in your uh initial reactions it was the way that everything works together here things don't stand out in this in that same way right like i mean it, everything the transitions and the way it goes back and forth everything feels so seamless that there's just a ton of stuff but it but it it has it's not a this isn't like a thrilling episode you know i mean the ending is but but it has this emotion um and so like I didn't find myself lingering on a lot of things, but I, a lot of things pop out in that. In that, so one of them was Walt standing in the driveway after she, you know, she pulls out. Skyler pulls out. Also, him sitting there by the pool. You know what I mean? Like whenever he's, he's, he's thinking. We didn't really get into that. That we, we, I mentioned it a couple of times now. We didn't really get into that pink sweater too much, but like that. It's so uncharacteristic, you know, and and it and it's such a contrast from what like his inside, you know what I mean? His outside so bright and and happy and uh, whatever. But 
I, I think, you know, the, the bear in the pool is where, where I landed. And I think just because of the way that that That's was where set it landed up too. <laughs> yeah. You, you talked about it coming down, um, falling, you know, like I, I kind of, I said, so we won't have the exact same one. I'll talk about it floating there <laughs> at the end. Right. You know what I mean? Like where it kind of flips over that where, cause if you watch when it goes into the water, everything turns black and white except for that bear. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the foreground, it's in the foreground and it's pink. Everything in, in outside, you know, there's a noticeable shift from, from color to black and white, just like there is at the beginning. You know, it's a... The only other thing that's in color is we see from, again, from the bear's point of view underwater, you can see Walt standing, looking down, and you see his yeah. pink sweater. So the bear is in pink and Walt's yeah, in pink. Yeah, but as he... I think the way I remember it is as he backs away, then you see everything go black and white again through the water. Is that right, or am I wrong? You could be right. I don't know. I just know that you can definitely see his pink sweater. Yeah, because yeah, he comes up and you can see him. Everything's in full color. The bushes you see his sweater, obviously, and the bushes are green behind him. And then when he backs away, it it clearly goes black and white. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's cool. How like the cold open goes from black and white to color. And then at the yeah. end, it goes from color back to black and white. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a neat, it's a neat little bookend, which they, they do so often, which I really, really like. It's kind of all about the bear, isn't it? Um, they do mention that they had that made hand. Like, we see that in the store when he's in his fugue state or whatever, but mm-hmm. this is not a commercial product. This is something that they had made special for the show. I th- yeah, and they mentioned they made quite a few of them. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. for I guess various uh, states of it falling, it dying, it <laughs> being burned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think uh, I think uh, Vince said that they had up to like uh, nine different bears or something made for this. It's pretty cool. I would love one. I actually mm-hmm. have a really cool little ornament of it, a little Christmas ornament of the pink bear. Oh yeah, yeah, and also That's a cool. bottle of uh, Sephiro. All right, so before we go, we do have some news that we want to share. Uh, As much as we have enjoyed making this podcast, we have decided that we need to take a break for the foreseeable future. And we want to thank everyone who has supported us, especially our patrons whose generosity and support has helped us keep going as long as we have. We are grateful to everyone out there who has tuned in week after week to rewatch with us. Yeah, thank you to those of you who took time to leave us ratings and reviews and shared your thoughts and feedback with us. Interacting with you guys has made this so much better. You know, it's been a more enjoyable rewatch. It's been something that we wanted to do. And, um, you know, it would have not been such a fun process uh, if we hadn't had some some of that feedback and, uh, you know, encouragement. I mean, we're hoping that this is just a temporary hiatus. We're both busy at the moment, so we're not really sure. We just wanted to, you know, put it out there. Like after season one, we took a short break uh, because of for the same reason, and um, you know, we knew we were going to come back for season two, and we'd see how how it did. It, it didn't perform as as well as you know we might have hoped, so we had to, you know, we had to take that into consideration and to whatever else we have going on and uh we hope that we'll be able to come back and get through the rest of the seasons but right now we're just not sure so we wanted to let you know up front that um 
this might be it for a while at least. Yeah, it would, it would be a lot of fun to be able to return to this at some point in the future in, in some form, right? Uh, that's that's my hope. So if you would like to keep up with us, you can follow our Twitter at BreakingBadGDT for any updates or write to us at BreakingBadGDT at gmail.com. You can also follow us individually, see what we're getting up to. You can find me on Twitter at Penumbria, P-E-N-U-M-B-R-I-A. Let me speak slower. Penumbria, it's like shadow. Um, or Courtney's reviews on YouTube. And you can find me on Twitter at Pete Peppers or YouTube. Um, you can basically just search Pete Peppers and I'll pop right up there. I'm going to be doing TV reviews and recaps there. That's what I've been doing and I'm um, going to continue with that. So if you you know want to keep up with me, that's the best place to do that. And hopefully there'll be other shows that I'm covering that will appeal to you know, Breaking Bad fans. Um, I, I still have some other Breaking Bad content that I'll probably be putting out in, in Better Call Saul as well. But I do, you know, I focus on stuff that is out right now because that's where, you know, there's a lot of conversation and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people to follow along. So I'll still be doing that. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey. Thanks. <laughs>